0: Well, good morning. Uh, you about had to have another preacher this morning. Uh, Near death experience, front row, but uh, nobody was harmed in the making of that. So, uh, if if you have your Bibles, and uh, I do hope you have them with you, please turn to me. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter seven. 2 Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, if you grab one of the pew Bibles. Uh, in front of you. It's page 967, 967. Well my name is Eric Sams for those that don't know me. Uh, I'm assistant pastor of the academy here at First Baptist Academy and I have the pleasure of leading us in a time of worshiping God through the study of his word. Um, I want to echo what Pastor Perry and Pastor Darren have already said. Happy Father's Day to you all who are fathers I pray that today is a day that you're honored. Uh, I also want to say for those that, that this day brings sadness, where you you consider the the fact that you don't have your earthly father here. I, I do pray that in these in this day that you can honor him through the sweet memories and glorify our heavenly father. And for those of you that don't have Uh, biological children, or adopted children, um, but are men, and your fathers to those around you. As we look at this text, and the author of this text being Paul, and how he was a spiritual father to so many, I want to say Happy Father's Day to you as you fulfill a faithful calling of God in your life. And so hopefully at this point, uh, we have arrived to Second Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, this is a pivotal passage in Second Corinthians. It's a passage where you go from this high road that Paul has taken on a scenic route back to the original path, the highway as you would call it, of the text of Second Corinthians. And so as we cover this, I hope that you are encouraged and comforted But because this is the word of God, and we are the people of God, gathering on the Lord's day, please rise with me as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 2, and we'll read through the closing of the chapter. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even... When we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that i rejoice still more for even if i sorry even if i made you grieve with my letter i do not regret it though i did regret it for i see the letter grieved you though only for a while as it is i rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved into repenting for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I I wrote to you, It was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you I was not put to shame but just as everything we said to you was true so also our boasting before Titus has proved true and his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all how you received him with fear and trembling I rejoice because I have completed or I have complete confidence in you the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord will remain forever. You may be seated. My, my title for this sermon is The Comfort and Joy of Right Relationships. And if I, I'm one of those that I, I kind of go back and forth with a few things. Um, I'm not a wordsmith by any means, but the, I do believe that words carry a lot of of value. And I'm, I might adjust it just a bit, the, the comfort and joy of right relationships, instead the comfort and joy of gospel relationships. I'm, I'm going to be talking about gospel relationships, and I mean by that relationships that are in the gospel, governed by the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. So I would say it'd be Christian relationships. And so as we go through my, my main point, so if you were to walk away and not hear anything else I say this morning, I'm hoping that you, you see this. God grants comfort and joy to those in gospel relationships. God grants comfort and joy to those in gospel relationships. If you're taking notes, we're going to go through three parts. First one is gospel relationships facilitate gospel comfort and joy. So, gospel relationships facilitate gospel comfort and joy. Two, gospel relationships spread comfort. Gospel relationships spread comfort. And three, gospel relationships increase joy. Increase joy. Uh, For you younger worshipers that are in the room... I have two questions for you that I want you to consider. One, what is repentance? It's in the text, and it's in the text a few times, and we'll talk about it in two different occasions. But what is repentance? And so, as we go through, be listening for that. And the second thing I would like for you to think about is, how does Paul respond to Titus returning and the message he brings. So I I, I probably would, would hang on those two. If if you're in this room, I would I would ask you these questions afterwards. But how does Paul respond to Titus? Both in his returning and the message that he brings. Well, let's dive right in because we have a lot to get through. So first, gospel relationships facilitate gospel comfort and joy. Paul starts this passage. This section that we're talking about with make room, and in the text, it you might have an asterisk next to in your hearts, and you go to the bottom and it says that it doesn't have in your hearts in, in Greek, but I do believe that the the translators here did us a service because it connects it to chapter six, verse eleven through thirteen. So Paul has talking to the Corinthians, writing to the Corinthians, he's he's on this kind of. High road, scenic route. And he, he gets to chapter 6, or 11 through 13, and he says these, this right here. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our hearts are wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. And then he goes off, and he branches off to how they should conduct themselves in a gospel community. And then in the, this verse, verse 2, we come back onto this, this train of thought. Chapter 6, verse 13. Well, make room in your hearts for us. And right after that, Paul fires off three defenses of his ministry. It seems odd that he would do this considering what follows. in the rest of the passage that we're going to look at. But it may be there, or it may still be someone, who would not welcome Paul despite the response to Titus. And so he, he lists off these, and it's, it's almost like he's stressing the not a single one. He's No single one have we wronged. No single one have we corrupted. This might be issues with Paul's teaching, some, somebody hearing what Paul is, is teaching of salvation by faith alone and them taking that and giving it as a license to to sin this is a battle we struggle with right Right. is if i am justified by faith and it's not by works then do i really need to do something are there gospel imperatives and past few weeks i think we we've all heard whether it be from Pastor Hunter, Pastor Adam, Pastor Tim, Pastor Perry, that there are gospel imperatives. In addition, it may be that Paul's collection of money to take to a foreign land, they have issues with. We, we have needs here. Why are you collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem for their needs when we have needs here? I, I think each one of these could be plausible but I don't want to reconstruct a scenario that we don't have information on but I do think that it's, it's it could be underlying I, th- I think we can feel that in our own heart, hearts third thing he brings up is no single one have we taken advantage of this is, this is not limited to financial uh, taking advantage of it could be that taking advantage of their uh, generosity, their uh, their personalities, but nonetheless, he fires off these three defenses. Well, it's not a total condemnation, though, is it? In verse 3, he says, I do not say this to condemn you, for I said for I said before that you are in our hearts. Listen to this. Paul is not whole, wholeheartedly it's just saying, the whole church there in Corinth, y'all are doing wrong. And, and we know this. In the, even in this room, there's variety and diversity in this room. There's complexity where some of us may be faithful day in and day out. Some of us struggle, it seems back and forth. And some of us, our lives are not depicted by a submission to our Lord and Father. But here, Paul's making sure that the receivers of this no, there's not a total condemnation. Now he's not re- afraid of rebuke. Right? It, you can go through the menu of First Corinthians and see that Paul is not afraid to rebuke somebody. This morning, I had the privilege of sitting in uh, in fourth and fifth grade boys Sunday school class. I had the privilege of serving in that class, and Brother Seth Shipley was was guiding us in Galatians two there. Paul is bringing the heat to Peter. Peter, why are you doing this? Why are you being hypocritical? And so we know nobody's outside the bounds of Paul giving some rebuke. But here, he wants to make sure that they understand that I'm not saying it's a full condemnation here. Well, let's move on. Here, in the second part of verse 3 and verse 4, listen to the love that Paul is communicating. The emotion that Paul is communicating with. He says, For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So, together, either in death or together in life. This is a co-laborship that Paul is talking about with the Corinthian church. And we might say, you know, out of all the churches, Paul, you're talking pretty affectionately to this church that seems like it causes you issue, causes you heartburn left and right, and yet you're talking this way. And I don't think that's by mistake. He loved the Corinthians. He loved this church. Here the in life or in in life together or in death together, I don't think that he's speaking of necessarily the the end times and resurrection. I think instead it's just, I'm, I'm with you. In life, I'm with you if it means death. I'm gonna link arms with you and travel down this road. Well, just like he, he mentioned three defenses here, we, I've already gotten on to the three acknowledgments, the the heartwarming message, that they are in his heart, that he has great pride. Like, this is Paul talking about the Corinthians, great pride. He says, I am filled with comfort. In my time of study, I was looking at that word filled, and we might say it's complete. Maybe think of going to the fast food line, uh, drive through and you get your, your drink, that comes with combo, and you look at it, and you're like, that sucker's two-thirds full. Like, no, this is, this is like the, the, the little boy at the camp that realizes they're Mountain Dew, and nobody's watching. He's pouring that sucker where it's to the brim where you can't move it without it spilling over. It's the hot day, and you drop by Waggles, and you put the the lid on the cup to fill up the icy, right? It's all the way to the top, past the brim of the cup, all the way to the top of the lid. That is the fullness of his comfort. He speaks in this way. The Corinthians had a special place in the heart of Paul. There were many good things going on at this moment between him in the Corinthians. However, this last portion of our section here reminds us that not all is well in Paul's life. He says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So he's filled with this comfort that seems to be at least earthly coming from the Corinthians. But then he reminds us that afflictions are still going on. Later on, Paul will catalog sufferings, and at the end, speaks of his concern for the churches there are other churches going through many different things And, and we know this there are some that are faithfully walking beside him we might even give an example of the Philippians some that are a mixed bag like the Corinthians but there is concern for this as his heart grows in love and joy and comfort. There's also great concern for these other congregations, for these other towns that have not heard the gospel. You know, he, He's going to write to Spain, and part of that is to, to get over, or he's going to write to the Romans in order to get to Spain. Why? Because they haven't heard the gospel. Right. These things right. are weighing on him. And but it's not the situation that governs his response in all our affliction not hey I'm painting over hardship I'm painting over rotten wood no he says just because the water I'm swimming in is affliction I'm overflowing with joy mm. why because of the gospel because of the gospel We should not shy away from relationships that both bring us joy and bring us comfort, but also cost us, that are hard, that are, it seems difficult to walk beside. Throughout history, I'm thankful for, one, for Paul laboring in such a way, and then for many throughout history, and many in my life, who said, you know what, it's worth the cost. It's worth the cost. So, we've looked at gospel relationships facilitate, gospel comfort and joy. That's where this joy is being poured out, this comfort is being poured out. Second, gospel relationships spread comfort. Gospel relationships spread comfort. Paul takes a corner here and he, he says, For even when we came into Macedonia, this is a, a pickup. From chapter 2, ending in verse 13. So chapter 2, verse 14, all the way to what we just now read in chapter in chapter 7, verse 4. Paul has been on this scenic route. Now he's getting back onto the path that his GPS has been telling him the whole time. You know, this is the direction you were going, and now you did this little roundabout, inspired by the Holy Spirit roundabout. Uh, some of you all know that on road trips. You might have, a, you know, might not be inerrant but it might be led by something you know you're arguing with your gps but that's okay Uh, here paul is picking up the fact that when he was in macedonia or before he got to macedonia he was in troas troas modern-day turkey and he says there's a door there's a door of ministry open but my soul or my spirit was not at rest and so because Titus had not come. And so now we're picking up on that. And he says, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. The word he uses for body, body uh, here is is actually flesh, but I don't think that he means it in the, the uh, unredeemed nature. I just think that he he's highlighting the, the weak aspect of his life, and I, I think we can all relate. It might be that he's, he's preluding later on when he talks about the thorn in the flesh that he prayed over and over. Lord, would you remove this? But God's grace was sufficient. But he found no rest. So you're telling me, Paul, you had a a door open for ministry and yet you didn't take it. There was reason. His body, his spirit... His, his whole self did not have any rest. He was concerned. And he was concerned over the lives of the Corinthians, these ones who he has shown such great love for. I don't believe that um, these should be taken in a hard theological manner, the, the body or later on, or well, as we already talked about, with um, uh, live together and die together. But more in the looser sense. Well, I want to talk about just for a moment, for a brief moment, um, this harsh letter. Why is Paul not having rest? Why is he in turmoil? Well, apparently, and this is what I hold, different people hold to different things. Uh, First Corinthians, he writes to the Corinthians because they're going through some things. There's some some things that need to be corrected. He wants to highlight a few things. A lot of things need to be corrected. He loves them, a lot of things need to be corrected, and he's walking with them. Mm-hmm. Follow faithfully after Christ. It seems that a time came, though, even if he, he wanted to visit them, that he, he learned some things were going on, some bad things. And it may be that these false apostles, as he would refer to them, are, are speaking. Speaking against Paul, but mainly speaking against Paul's message, the gospel. And leading them astray. And, and they're, they're not battling it. It's almost like they're going along with it. And, and so Paul, concerned for their souls. Concerned for their lives. Concerned for their eternity. Concerned for the gospel witness in Corinth. And then all of the other places that go through Corinth. Paul writes a harsh letter. I don't think that there is First Corinthians. I don't. I don't think that it's harsh enough. But we don't have this harsh letter. Different, different debates, and we're not going to get too much into it. But I do believe that this letter got lost. And as one scholar says, I'm just going to paraphrase him. It served its purpose, and now it's gone. It served its purpose, and this is what the result that we have come to here is that. He sends it. And I think that he sends it with Titus. He says, brother, go, but meet me back here. And so so he goes. Titus goes with the letter. He arrives in Corinth. And Paul's just sitting there looking at his Facebook feed. I'm not getting any updates. He's texting him. And all it's shown is delivered, not even read. And he's like, what's happened? What? Did something happen on the road? Did, did something happen in Corinth? Did they, did they revolt against him? On his way back did something happen. So there's a, there's a concern that's growing for Titus and for the response. Both. And so he's, he's not at rest. He's thinking, I can't just stay here. I've got to go. And so as a good father, he spiritual father, he goes, and he arrives in Macedonia, and he says, our bodies had no rest. Um, it's a perfect tense here, had. I don't know if you really care, but it may be that there's still ongoing issues even now that he's gotten the word from Titus. So just imagine, we're right now reading, Paul has already met Titus, and he's writing to to the Corinthians again, this letter. And even here, he speaks as if the the rest, the the lack of rest, is even continuing, maybe just a little bit. There may be still some issues. Like he said before, the three defenses. Still may be defenses, but overall, things are going good. Well, he talks about his time in Macedonia, and he says... But we were afflicted every turn, every way, every side. We're, we're embattled. It seems like our lives are under siege. And he says, fighting without, it might be that it was the travel over the Aegean. Maybe it was the, the towns that they were coming through that they were actually getting hostility. But nonetheless, it seems on the outside, there's battles. Boss seems to be overly critical. The friend who doesn't seem to be acting as a good friend. Every turn on the outside. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. But not only is it fighting without, but it's fear within. What has happened to Titus? What has happened in response? What is the outcome? Have they just forsaken me? Well, all of this, we arrive to the fact that God comforts. Verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us. Paul links this with chapter 1. I had the privilege of sharing that with you all last October as we looked through the first portion of chapter 1. And him highlighting the fact that God is the author and the source of this comfort. But you know what? He not only is saying that, and we're like, that links there. But also, it links all the way back to Isaiah. Almost direct phrasing. And it's also interesting that Paul, Isaiah 49, 13... Paul quotes from that same chapter in the previous chapter that we have. But here Paul is reminding us, this God of the Old Testament, this God of the New Testament, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, is the one who comforts. But but wait a minute, are you saying that God comforts, but wait a minute, he mentions Titus. Is it Titus giving the comfort, or is it God giving the comfort? Yes, yes it is. God in his kindness has brought Titus and brought Titus safely. God in his kindness has allowed for repentance to happen. He is the source. And then we see the earthly representation of that Titus. Well, comfort being used four times in these two verses, verse 6 and 7. God comforts Paul through Titus' arrival in the news. He says, as he told us of your longing. I think the longing there is of Paul visiting, of your mourning, the mourning over their there maybe acceptance of a false gospel. Them entertaining a contrary gospel. And your zeal for me, them saying, you know what? We should not continue this way. We must turn And so, all of these longing, mourning, and zeal are things that they are doing to show their love for Paul and response to Titus. Well, Paul gets real in verse 8 and 9. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, that is the harsh letter in in my opinion, this harsh letter that we don't have. He says, I didn't... Even if I made you grieve, I do not regret it. I don't, I'm not repenting from that. I don't regret it. And then you get like, on occasion, Paul does this. It's like he opens up his mind and lets it just fall out on the, the pages. And you get kind of like the inner workings of what Paul, what's going through Paul's soul, what's going through his mind in these moments. He said, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. Though only for a little while. And so there's a sense in which Paul, he's not taking anything back. What he wrote, he wrote for a reason. What he wrote, he's confident in. But it's like one of those texts or one of those emails that you send and you're like, did I... I know there was a message I'm trying to convey. Did I word it right? Is it going to be taken wrongly? Did I did I communicate my heart? Well, Paul, his concern, I think when he says he did regret it, I think it was in Troas, when Timothy should have been there, or Titus should have been there. Titus should have been back. He had plenty of time. What's going on? Uh, I mean, and I don't think that the the line at the grocery store was too long, and he just couldn't get through in time. He's delayed. Why? And so there's a sense in which he did regret, but not because he sent it, not because he said it, because he was concerned that it might have pushed the Corinthians away instead of having the right response. Well, I think in our culture today, I feel like there are too many Christians trying to write harsh letters, like Paul, without the concern that Paul had for the souls of the Corinthians. We're keyboard warriors, launching harsh letters, but not considering, I don't regret the message that I'm saying, but do I have the sense of, am I saying this charitably? Am I saying this the right way? Am I going to be pushing away the recipient? Or am I calling them to proper repentance? Well, I hope that we can relate to Paul in the way of having a great concern for the Corinthians. Well, let's continue on. We must respond in repentance. Paul, in verses 10 through 12, Paul rejoices in the repentance of the Corinthians. Paul makes an interesting division here between two kinds of grief. So verse 10, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to read verse 9 because he mentions repentance, but we're going on to the ten it says as it is I rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved into repenting for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us for a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death here we see that this repentance that they have there's two categories godly grief and worldly grief We might say a godly repentance and a worldly repentance. One produces salvation. The other produces death. One scholar says godly grief or sorrow is a grief that leads individuals to view their conduct as God does. Mm. To view their conduct as God does. Just to get on a flat playing field here, what is repentance? What are we talking about here? What is repentance? One in Grudem says, Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. Heartfelt sorrow for sin. A renouncing of it. So, heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a third part. A sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. So, it's a turning from something to something or someone. A turning away from the sin, a heartfelt sorrow, a renouncing of it, a sincere commitment to forsake it, and a walk in obedience to Christ. One dictionary put it plainly like this, and I, I love this definition. Repentance is a divinely appointed means of repairing the relationship between God and humankind. Divinely appointed means of repairing the relationship between God and in humankind. True repentance leads to salvation. It is the repentance that produces what Paul writes about a couple chapters back. If we were to look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, has repented and followed Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen. You know, I, I tried to follow the... Uh, Southern Baptist Convention this, this past week. Uh, I was here, and I would have it on my phone, uh, live streaming, and, and heard a lot of qualifications. You know, what is the qualification for this? Uh, thinking about that, I thought about, you know, for a doctor. I'm not a doctor. In order to uh, stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night and want to be a doctor. Um, but what does it take to be a doctor? I, I haven't talked to uh, the doctors in the room, but I'm, I think a lot of schooling and a medical license, at least. Maybe there's more. You can inform me, or you, if you have questions. A teacher, uh, a, a lot of schooling, and then some type of teaching or accreditation, whether it's a teacher license or a certificate of some sort. For a Christian, two requirements, faith and repentance. Right. If we are a Christian, repentance is needed. Right. We must repent, but how or why would we Repent. We, we sang some amazing songs speaking of the love of God as seen in Christ. Christ came in the flesh, lived among a people similar to the Corinthians that, that rejected him, that one day celebrated him and the next day said crucify him. Died on the cross, buried, and rose. And because of his act of being a substitute for us, we're now called to repent and believe. The means that God has set up to reconcile us to him is put forth. Payment has been made. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. That's the gospel call. So if you're here today and you would say, I know nothing of this repentance. I would call for you. I would beg you either now to call the name of the Lord for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins and for eternal life. Or as you're leaving here, if you have questions, to Talk to somebody in the crossroads. Just go out these doors, go left, and before you leave, there's a room to the right. It's it's a great way to have a conversation about these things. We love to talk to you. Or just find somebody around you that seems like they have a Bible and they know what they're doing. Uh, The gospel call is to trust in Christ. And we are united with Christ and declared righteous through repentance of our sins and placing our faith in him. May we do that today if Amen. we haven't already. Amen. But you know what? Repentance is not like the exit that you pass as you're going down the road, right, for a Christian. We, we acknowledge all that. I remember that exit right there. You know, it might have a Bucky's. I don't know. Um, you know, you, you recall it. You, you know it. But it's not just, hey, we've passed there. We've, we've stopped by. Now we're gone. We've filled up. We've gotten things right. We're ready for the long haul. That is not the Christian call for repentance. Repentance is not that stop. Instead, it's a regular activity. Last month, Pastor Hunter mentioned that prayer is like breathing. We might also say that studying God's Word, as Scripture calls it, is like eating. In repentance, I might argue... I don't know if it's the best analogy but we're going with it right now is exercising is exercising if we don't do it or let's just say be active I don't I don't regularly exercise that much but be active (laughs) convictions now coming upon me I need to repent I guess okay but going back to it okay just just follow me Repentance being like exercising. When we cease doing it, we cease being active. We find that some things seep in. Our joints don't move as well as they used to. Our, maybe our blood pressure is not managed as well as it could be. Maybe certain diseases might even set in. Bitterness. Animosity. Hatred. Hatred dishonesty, and our spiritual health is in decline. May we be a people that breathe, eat, and exercise, to pray, be students of God's Word, and be repenting. One of the mottos for Reformation is reformed, always reforming. I, I would like to say reformed, always being reformed. For the Christian, is repentant, repentant, ever repenting? makes me consider church discipline and the fact that church discipline is us together, living alongside one another. You speaking into my life, my, me speaking into your life, when you see me stray, because you know what? I don't see as well right before me as I do in the rearview mirror. I might see, ah, I went into the other person's lane right there. I didn't realize that. Or, you know, I probably should have taken that exit, not this one. And so having others around you to maybe occasionally honk the horn, like, hey, you're getting over this. There's going to be a collision. It's not good. I mean, people speak into your life. Church discipline reminded that the call to repentance is there, and, and when church discipline is talked about, there's three categories. I know Pastor Perry's pointed this out, and there's a few other um, authors that, that highlight this, and I'm thankful for it. Sins that are outward, serious, and the third one, unrepentant, unrepentant. Repentance may take time. I may somebody might speak into my life, and I, I realize, you know what. I'm not sure if I'm wrong in that. I don't know. And then slowly, another brother might speak into it. And I'm like, there might be something. And God opens up the curtains of my blindness to my sin. And I need to respond in repentance. How long will that take? I don't know. Hopefully not long. But when we see the, the process of church discipline, Matthew chapter 18 is what I have in mind, continuing to its sorrowful ending point, the stage of consider them a tax collector. Put them outside you. Why would we excommunicate? Why would we put somebody outside of the church? Is it because of sin? No. Because you know what? None of us would be in this church. Or any other church. It's because of unrepentance to sins that are outward, serious, and unrepentant. May we be quick to repent. Well, it helps me to consider biblical figures that we see in each of these categories. A worldly grief and a godly grief. As a a few scholars have pointed out, reflecting on them, consider Esau, who seemed to be grieved because of a decision. But then we're informed that That grief, though, was not a godly grief, but a worldly grief. David, on the other hand, (coughs) grievous sins, outward, serious sins, when confronted by Nathan the prophet, repented. Mm -hmm. Psalm 51, read it. Judas, who seemed to weep, and the 30 pieces of silver were nothing to him he just wanted to he got it he did the deed and it seems like he there's a repentance of some sort but we we see that that just leads to death versus peter in close proximity sinning against the lord i, I don't even know that guy Three times, and yet we see as he walks along with Jesus that there is a repentance that's happened that leads to life. May we one have patience with those around us. I was sitting at a football practice. Yes, football practice going on. Um, I was sitting at a football practice, and I, at the end, I don't know if y'all know about football too much, but uh, when does the play begin? When the ball moves. The ball moves, the play begins. And so it's, a, it's, it's something that you have to learn early on. You don't move until the ball moves. Offense or defense, you can't do it. You can move on defense, but you just can't go forward. Um, and so they would line up, 50-yard line, line up. And run 50-yard sprint. Somebody, the coach would get down there with the ball. And he'd yell out the cadence as loud as he could. Hut! Say, hut! And they move, 10 jump jacks. <laughs> Line up again, don't move until the ball moves. And he'd do his cadence as loud as possible or as emphatic as possible, hut! Somebody jump off sides. You know, they're getting on each other at this point. Stop doing that! And I'm sorry, I'm, I'll get it fixed. Next thing you know, over and over and over, I was thinking, they're never gonna run. <laughs> um, they're just gonna sit there and do jump jacks all day. There are times in our lives when it seems like there are people around us that they say sorry over and over and over, and it's like, when will this stop? Um, Let us show patience with one another while also calling each other to repentance when needed. Well, we talked about gospel relationships facilitate gospel comfort and joy, gospel relationships spread comfort, and gospel relationships increase joy. So I'm going to run through this. Um, Honestly, I don't even know how much time I've taken, but... We're going with it, okay? So, not only has Paul been comforted by God with the arrival of Titus, but Paul had reason to rejoice. Why? Because Titus was encouraged. Consider all of these things. So it says, um, well, skipped over a few verses, but we'll get there. Uh, So, for for see what earnestness, verse 11, I'm just going to run through this. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness... To clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Paul is just saying, this grief that is godly has produced fruit. That is in line with salvation and living a sanctified life. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent of the matter. I don't think that they were completely innocent as in like, you know, they didn't welcome somebody in that was preaching a contrary um, gospel. But instead, that they were saying, he was saying, You have shown that you've responded well to what has been amongst you. You've put it out. Verse 12, So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sakes of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness might be revealed. So they're around this. By hearing it, they did respond uh, poorly, but now they've They've responded well. Verse 13, that's where we're at. God's relationships increase joy. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still the more at the joy of Titus. Titus is encouraged. He says it. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So Paul's encouraged. Titus is encouraged. The Corinthians have responded well. This is beautiful. What started out as a harsh letter with no rest, is resulting in godly response. Paul had been building up the Corinthians to Titus. You know about those, those Corinthians, right? They are a good, loving church. It's almost like a restaurant that you talk to your friends about and you speak highly of it. At this point, Paul is wondering. You know, we've all done it. We've all spoke highly of a restaurant, and then you go with your friends because you finally talk them into it, and you go, and it's like an off day for that restaurant. And you're like, yeah, I didn't think that food was great either. But you've talked it up, and so not only are you disappointed, but then the person you've talked it up to is like, not only do I doubt that restaurant, I doubt you. But Paul is like, wondering what's going to be the response? And And here, the response is great. The Corinthians did not put Paul to shame in their response. Instead, they lived up to what Paul had hoped, recapping it. Paul hears of bad things going on, sinful things, bad things. Paul writes a harsh letter. Titus is delayed in returning. Paul leaves an opportunity for ministry to go toward Corinth. Paul meets Titus in Macedonia and hears of this. Paul is encouraged. Titus is encouraged. The church at Corinth is stronger and encouraged. And so, gospel relationships increase joy, because through all this, the gospel is being more visible in the lives of God's people. We need each other, each other today, we need each other tomorrow, if the Lord allows. I was, a quote was shared with me from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, and I thought, "This this is the passage. Um, Therefore, he writes, and it's it's a small book, so I'd, I'd encourage you to pick it up. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother, or he needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. We need each other because you know what? We may become discouraged. We may become uncertain. But the word's that our brothers and sisters around us can speak to us are clearer and stronger than the ones that are going through our head. Christ is mighty. It's not that. It's that the worries and the discouragement are clouding it. Mm. And we can't hear them as clearly than when our brother or sister comes beside us and says, listen. Speaks those words that we need to hear. God supplied these words through the Apostle Paul for the benefit of the community of true believers for all time. We have this book because the Corinthians responded well. If you've been encouraged by this book, you've been encouraged by the repentance of the Corinthians. If you found joy through this book, You benefit from the repentance of the Corinthians. And so I would say to us, let us be those who repent. Who help our brothers and sisters alongside us and speak truth in their lives. And then we with receptive ears and open hearts receive one another. My main point, God grants comfort and joy to those in gospel relationships. May we endeavor to do these things. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word, for this gospel, and for how you've called us together. God, I pray that you would encourage us in this time, that you would comfort us in this time, that you would give us joy, and that you would give us zeal to stand for what your word says and to love those you've placed around us. God, I do pray that your spirit would move in our room, this church, this auditorium, that if those, if there are someone here who does not know, you've got to pray that you would replace their heart of flesh, or their heart of, their heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And God, may you be glorified through our repentance as your spirit leads. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.